Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm completely thrilled to be continuing to broadcast during COVID-19, especially for people who are in quarantine and thinking about different ways that we can all struggle better together. Dan Ryan is my guest today. Dan has served the Portland community for causes in which he believes for decades. He's dedicated his career to improving all communities' access to high-quality education, mental health services, and the arts, with extensive experience building bridges and creating impact for kids and families. One of the best things about Dan is he has now decided, after serving on the school board, to actually run for city council. And I welcome Dan Ryan. Hi, Dan. It's so good to see you. It is so good to see you, Sheila. This is uh, this is what we need right now is connection time. So no kidding. great to see you. One of the reasons that I was really hoping to get your perspective today is because in the early 80s, when the gay community was struggling with this unknown virus called AIDS, you must have gone through something very, very similar in terms of the fear of not knowing, the fear of contracting, and then ultimately contracting HIV AIDS. Yeah, it... um... It was kind of triggering actually in mid-January when the news was coming out. And I distinctly remember watching CNN and I was watching a story about how South Korea was coping with COVID. And I was kind of blown away by their obedience and their discipline and their adult behavior change that instantly took place. Yeah. And I said to my partner, um, Hey, this is this is this is really gonna this is landing. This is coming, and there's a lot of denial right now, and it feels like HIV in the early '80s, where oh, it's just in the Haitian community, it's just uh, gays that are in bathhouses in New York and San Francisco. So if you're not in those places, if you're not in Wuhan, China, then you're going to be just fine. Mm. So I felt the denial was already out there, and. Then I think what was more emotional uh, for me, because I was more the science side, and for the emotional side, it was when people of Asian descent were being um, were receiving violence, mm-hmm. and it was triggering because in the early '80s at Rutgers College in New Jersey, um, I was um, confronted by a guy on campus late when I was coming home from a party, like you do when you're a junior in college, mm-hmm. and. They were really, really nice to me and kind of were coming on to me, what I thought. And then their last question was, are you gay? And I said, yes. And then I said, um, next thing I know, I was punched. Not once, but like five times. And they used the double F word, first one. You can imagine second one is faggot. And you're spreading AIDS around the world. And boom, 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 boom. So... I haven't really relived that trigger for a while and that came up for me. And, um, and it was one of those times, um, back then I didn't, I just told people I fell down. I was, you know, I was in the, I was drunk and I fell down. Of course I was lying cause I was, um, I received domestic, I received violence. So. Because there is always this tendency on people who have very kind of small rigid minds that they want to blame the unexplainable on a person or a group or a gender or a race or even a country. Um, I think that it's really important to give the perspective of what it's like just to be a human being and to have contracted something so random, so deadly, and yet at this point so manageable. What was your arc of acceptance and understanding with HIV? 
Oh, that's a great question. Well, it's quite, it was quite a journey. I would say in many ways, HIV at that young age saved my life. At age 24, 25, I was um, immediately had to grow up. Um, I had to um, be accountable. I had to really lean into structure as my friend. Um, I became spiritually um, thirsty and curious and developed some really good disciplines with um, taking time and meditation and um, really just um, finding the positivity of those around me. Um, luckily, I was living in New York at the time and there were a lot of resources. I um, continued to get active in Seattle when I lived there. And um, I just saw a lot. I saw a lot of good. I saw a lot of creativity coming from the community. I saw my lesbian sisters, you know, starting a group chicken soup brigade and literally just delivering soup and making beds for their brothers who were dying. Mm. And I never forget that. And what I also don't forget, Sheila, is how when I was in a position, because Mayor Rice in Seattle pointed me to a commission, then it was called Lesbian and Gays. And I was asked to facilitate a group around HIV uh, money and how it would be distributed. And I found there was a lot of disrespect from the bigger government um, public health people at that time with some of the smaller grassroots groups. And I, I don't forget that. In my whole life, I've been a champion for grassroots innovation that comes from the community and do not disrespect that because in fact, they're closer to the clients, they have wisdom and we need to get resources to them as well. Wow, isn't that also just the case right now? You know, it's the people who are on the front lines, the healthcare workers that we should be listening most closely to and you know, the further away from real care, real targeted care that you get, the more amorphous the advice becomes, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's also interesting to me that you, during the AIDS epidemic, had to grapple with the lack in the beginning of a federal response to that um, virus, that there was, because of the lack of willingness to actually declare it a public health crisis, there were a lot more infections than there should have been. And I'm seeing the similarity now, you know, it was, I think, until what, 84, 85, before they actually declared it a public health crisis. And even then, the instructions were really slow on the uptake. Yeah, the president at the time, Reagan, had a really hard time saying the word. I think it wasn't until Nancy's friends like Rock Hudson passed away where he was pressured probably in his own bedroom to um, be a little bit more of a grown up on that. You know, I really have no words to describe what's happening to the current president. I can say that locally, um, we can continue to be smart and we um, you have to trust the science. I felt as though we're at least two weeks late locally. Oregon has the fewest amount of beds per 1,000 residents of any state in the country. That's really startling information. And so it was necessary for us to be very vigilant about what we did know worked, which was social distancing and really lowering the curve. I've asked this question, and I don't know if you know the answer to it, but right now the treatment for COVID-19, uh, one of the antivirals that they're using is the antiviral that many people who are currently um, using it for HIV are on. Have you talked with your doctor about whether that means that you're less likely to contract COVID because you already have one of these antivirals in your system? Well, I haven't talked to my doctor because my doctor is probably working such long hours that he doesn't need to be bothered by me. I'm right now <laughs> symptom free. I, I will say that um, I have some red flags on that. Also with the malaria drug that the president's pushing, 
I, uh, I had to fire two doctors actually in the late 80s because they really wanted me to take AZT. And yet I had friends in New York that took that and, and it made them sick and they died, I think, much faster. Mm -hmm. So I think um, it's important for everyone to know that what's, what you can really do is take care of your own immunity. What can you do today to have a healthy day? And I think all of, all of us, or at least I am, it's a real struggle right now to find the discipline to cope with how to stay healthy today. Exactly. And I think trying to be fixed by some um, drug that's really not appropriate, we have to be really careful about that. How is your health today? You look like the picture of health. <laughs> that's kind of you to say. I, I'm actually really blessed. You know, I, in 1996, I had pneumocystis pneumonia and I was in Seattle and I got it twice within two months, not a good thing. And mm. at that time, I was told to be six months to a year to live. And I came home, which is Portland, um, basically to die. And then the cocktails came out. And it wasn't an easy journey the first couple of years of the cocktails, but it allowed me to uh, become healthy again in terms of my immune system. And before you know it, I had to go get out there and, and work and serve again. And I'm just so fortunate that I've been system. Um, I've had no antivirals um, in my, I've been um, free, if you will, um, of HIV for now almost uh, 18 years. So. Wow. Yeah. So do you still take the antiviral cocktail though? Oh, absolutely. Without, yeah. and, but it went from, oh, just some really interesting cocktail mixes of like 10 pills a day to just one. So wow. it's, a, it's a miracle where a miracle. science has advanced. And yeah. I'm so fortunate to live on when so many of my brothers, mostly um, in New York and Seattle, especially that I was in support groups with, have passed away. So I do feel like I have this responsibility to keep giving back to my community. I think that's why I'm such a huge supporter of yours uh, for this spot on the city commission, not just because of your work with children and families in, uh, in the Portland public schools, all that you've done for the community of educators and people who are so uh, believing in the right for an equitable education for every kid, but just because you're such a survivor. I love that, especially now. I think it's so important that we hear from survivors, that we hear from people who've developed spiritual guidelines for living better lives and you're one of them and so are you my friend that's why Thank we know each other yeah. yeah no doubt <laughs> yeah no doubt tell people just a tiny bit about your campaign because i'm sure it's difficult to get the word out right now and everybody's so focused on covid yeah um i appreciate the question uh campaigning in this environment is unique um no one's ever been here before and i'm a people person so i'm trying to figure out how to connect um with folks and this is great to have an opportunity to have a conversation with you sheila I was, you know, I was called by so many mutual friends of Nick Fish and my and me that after he passed away, uh, I was coming out of an eleven year gig as a CEO of All Hands Raised. To be honest, um, when I was about three or four years into my CEO job at All Hands Raised, I was called by a lot of people to run for office. I said no because I believe that a nonprofit leader really needs to stay in their position seven to eleven years to have the transformational yeah. culture change and get results that are necessary. So now that I was in this um, transition into my next service gig, it really was good timing. And I'm not, I'm not from the political class. Um, I'm from the community nonprofit class of over 35 years. And I think people want leadership and as opposed to just inside political leaders. And leadership is people that have been out in the community bringing stakeholders together, different um, communities that usually won't sit at the same table, together to focus on what is best for the general population. 
I think people are concerned that what we've seen at City Hall for almost two decades now is just too much fraction, too much division, where it's a time to bring back the public and private partnership. That's how all things have always been achieved. And I think people recognize that when that all hands raised, when we really focused on graduation rates for our high school students, and they increased by 11.5% for all kids, but 15.5% for our African-American and Latino kids, that matters. And we did it because we focused. We said the schools can't do it alone. We looked at metrics. We admitted when we made mistakes. And we were transparent. And it's time for us to stop all the proclamations and just get honest that these are messy, challenging problems, and they take complex solutions. But we have to know that the solutions are not inside the building of City Hall. They are out there in our community, and we need Mm. to meet them where they are. I love it. Close to the people as we began this conversation. Dan, it's been so fun to catch up with you, even in quarantine. Thank you again for joining us today. Uh, You're so welcome. We want to thank the uh, Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care and Cedar Hills Hospital for the support of our program. And if you can give us a thumbs up wherever you listen to podcasts, we'd sure appreciate it. Make it a great day.